All right, let me read some verses to you that are going to get us started tonight. Mark 16, 15. Mark 16, 15. We're going to cover a ton of textual ground tonight. We usually cover a lot of textual ground. We're going to even do more so tonight. Uh, these notes are always online. You can go to our website. You can download this PDF. So if we're covering it faster than you can take notes, it's okay. You'll be able to download those notes this week. Mark 16, 15. Reading out the New Living Translation. Renders this way, and then he told them, speaking of Jesus, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Romans 1.16, the first part of that verse says, for I am not ashamed of the good news about Jesus Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 2, it reads this way, Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, this is Paul writing to the church of Corinth, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and you still stand firm on it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. This phrase that appeared in all three of these verses, good news, depending on the translation of the Bible that you might be reading, will also sometimes have the word gospel. Those are interchangeable in the New Testament. The reason for that is because when the Bible was originally written in the original language, the word that appears there is euangelion, euangelion, which translates gospel, which means good news. Why does it mean good news? Because euangelion is what's called a compound word. In the Greek language, they took the word eu, which means good, and then they took the word angelion, which means announcement, and they put that together to try to convey and communicate this idea of the message of Jesus. It is a good announcement. It is the gospel. It is good news. So tonight I want to talk to you about why I believe the gospel is good news, why, why I believe that is a fair translation. And I'm going to give you four reasons tonight of why I believe the gospel is good news. The gospel is good news, first of all, because the gospel finds me. Somebody type finds me in the chat. The gospel finds me. I'm going to post a picture of it on my social media later tonight, but when I was in Haiti in 2014 building that bridge, which is when I met Marcellin, who we're working to, again, help rebuild his house, so the legacy offering, I hope you're going to make a generous donation to that. But when I was there in Haiti on that missions trip, there was the house that we were staying at in the mountain, the pastor's home where we were staying, which was just up the hill from the work site of the bridge we were building. There was a heart-shaped rock, I kid you not, a rock in the shape of a heart that was just naturally there. It wasn't created, it wasn't built, it was just a natural formation. And if I stood on that rock, I kid you not, if I stood on that rock, I could use my iPhone and I could call home and I could talk to Vanessa and the kids and it sounded as though they were next door. If I stepped off of that rock, I would drop the call. Only on that rock, nowhere else in that village could I stand and make that call. But if I was on that rock, that heart-shaped rock, I could talk with my family. Every time I got off of that phone call, my heart ached to be with them. Every time I got off of that call, there was a longing deep inside of me that wanted to be present with my family. 
Romans 10, 9 through 14. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved, as the scriptures tell us. Anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jews and Gentiles are the same in this respect. See, they had racial strife 2,000 years ago. Come on. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Listen to this. From the moment we were born, our hearts ache to know God and to be known by him. But for most people we come in contact with every day who are far from God, they are not yet sensitized to that ache, meaning that that longing is inside of them, but they don't even feel it yet. For many of you thinking back to your own story, for when you were far from God, you were completely disconnected from this longing. I know I was. See, I'm telling you that story of when I was in Haiti because there was a feeling just like that inside of every human being. There's a feeling, just that feeling, if you've ever been separated from your family from an extended period of time, and many of you watching this know exactly what I'm talking about because of your business travels, because mission trips that you've been on, our military families who have been separated so often from their families, you know this ache and this longing that I'm talking about. That ache and that longing exists in each of us. A longing to know God and a longing to be known by him. Listen to John 6, 44. The first part of that verse is that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. You see, the preaching of the gospel, which is what Paul was talking about there in Romans 10, how can they believe if they do not hear? What Paul is trying to help us to understand is that that longing inside of us has to be awakened that aching inside of us, even though it's there, it has to be stirred up. And the way that it is awakened and the way that it is stirred up is when the preaching of the gospel falls on their ears. Romans 10, 15 to 17 reads this way. And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent and that is why the scripture says how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring, here it comes again, good news, euangelion, the gospel. But not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who will believe our message? So faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. This is one of those verses in the Bible that gets misused so much. People often quote it. I used to misquote it. Right? Is, is that we, 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 use this, we use this phrase, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's true. And there are other verses in the Bible that tell us that scripture produces in us the virtue of faith. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. What Paul is saying here is that when people hear the gospel, it awakens inside of them the feeling of the longing to know God and to be known by him. And then Paul, go, Paul goes on to say to some people reject that, meaning that some people, some people, when they feel that ache and they feel that longing, they go and they try to fill it and satisfy it in other ways. But even when they do, I tell you this, they're going to come back to this moment 
because they're going to find out that everything the world has to offer will never satisfy that longing and never satisfy that ache except for Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying here in Romans 10, 15 to 17, this idea of faith comes by hearing the gospel. It means that this longing is awakened inside of them. It means that they feel it for the first time. But that faith goes farther. That faith begins to stir inside of them to believe that that longing can be satisfied. What, what Paul is saying is not only does the preaching of the gospel awaken the ache and the longing inside of a person, but it also stirs up in them a belief that they can know God and that they can be known by him. And it certainly stirs up the faith that Jesus is the answer. As many of you know, I've had a many years journeys with back pain and neck issues and things of that nature. And early on when that began to happen for me, I went to a neuromuscular massage therapist, a lady by the name of Dana Pate, who I think actually still works in this area. She's amazing. And she, when I would go in to see her, she would begin to touch different parts of my neck and my, and my back to see if there was a problem. And sometimes she would touch a place on me that wasn't even hurting until she touched it. And she would touch it and I would wince. And I would say, I didn't even know that that was a problem. And she would always say the same thing. She would say, Fred, healthy tissue never hurts. This is what we're talking about here. There are times in our lives where the Holy Spirit touches a part of our soul that we didn't even know was a problem. When in that time in our life when we were far from God and there wasn't even an aching and a longing inside of us to know God and to be known by him, and then the Holy Spirit comes. When we hear the message of the gospel, the Holy Spirit uses that message to touch that part of who we are to awaken us to that longing. I love the parables in Luke 15 verses 1 through 10. I'm not going to read them for the sake of time, but they're the lost parables. We have the lost sheep, we have the lost coin, and then we have the lost son. Each of these parables are there for many reasons, but one of them is most certainly to tell us that the gospel finds us. It's to tell us that all of us, like the sheep, all of us, like the coin, all of us, like the sun, at some point realize how far away from God we are, and then the gospel awakens inside of us this longing to know God and to be known by him. The gospel is good news, people, because the gospel finds me. The gospel is good news because the gospel finds me, and when the gospel finds me, it awakens my longing to know God and to be known by him. Number two is this, the gospel adopts me. Somebody type in the chat, adopts me. The gospel finds me, it's good news because it finds me, and it's good news because it adopts me. It adopts me. Let me read this story to you. Suzanne LaRoche Rocher was born about 1676 in France. She was the daughter of Jean and Marie Rocher. She eventually married Abraham Michaud in Holland in 1692, and together they came to America sometime between 1702 and 1705. They settled on a grant from the Queen of England on 574 acres in what is now Powhatan, Virginia. 
When Suzanne was a child, her father tried unsuccessfully to get Suzanne out of France into Holland where her sisters had already escaped due to the violent persecution they suffered as Protestant French Huguenots by the Catholic Church. Finally, her father arranged for her to be hidden in a cask, which is like a a big barrel, a wooden cask on a ship. It was a large 65-gallon cask. And she garnered, Suzanne Rocher garnered in history the nickname the Little Nightcap because the family that housed her sisters in Holland had written a letter to Suzanne's father as a signal. The plan was signal to me when it's safe for my daughter to come. And so he sends a letter, and in this letter he said, send the nightcap that we left behind. That was code. It's safe to send your child. That moment of escape, escape is part of the origin story of my family. My children, Derek and Ethan and Claire, are the 10th generation of Michaud's in Virginia. We have a family Bible that's housed at the Union Theological Seminary that I had the privilege of spending some time with that many years ago. If you're traveling out of Richmond on Patterson Avenue or Route 6 and hang a left on 522, that bridge used to be called, they pronounce it this way, the, the Misher Bridge. And then there's a placard there that used to be a functioning township because my family operated the ferry long before that bridge was there. I'm telling you that story because God wants you to be born into his family. Not just for you, but for generations to come. You see, you might be the Suzanne Rocher of your family spiritually. See, that moment in history is a part of the origin story of my family, but every family also has a spiritual origin story. There's somebody that comes to Christ in a family that then sets faith into motion, that unleashes the story of the telling of the gospel in their family for generations to come. This idea of the gospel being good news because it finds you is for you. And this idea of the gospel being good news because it adopts you is for you, but it's not just for you. It's so people in your family for generations to come can also be found and can also be adopted. You see, God doesn't just want to make your acquaintance He wants you to be in his family. Think about that for a minute. He doesn't just want to make your acquaintance. He wants you to be in his family. John 1.12 reads this way, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. Hey, let me read you an excerpt out of this book. This is a book, One in Christ, I don't know if this camera's on yet. I'm going to wait for Jesse to shoot it. There it is. One in Christ by Dr. David Ireland. Such a good book. But I want to read this little excerpt here specifically about creation. It says, God formed Adam from the dust of the ground with his very hands. This approach is totally different than simply speaking something into existence. It's more personal. It's a hands-on job. This creative approach demonstrates a greater connection to the creator and the entity being created. That's you and me, people. God didn't speak us into existence like he did everything else, right, in the creation story. He handily formed, shaped, and designed us with love and care. We are his showpieces. As Dr. David Ireland says, I love it here, he says, we are his magnum opus, his greatest work. 
God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed life into his nostrils. Adam, the first man, became a living soul. Again, using a different but similar, similar approach, personal approach, he took one of Adam's ribs and made it a woman. Then Eve, the mother of all humanity, became a living soul. It's so good, isn't it? He didn't just speak us into existence. He could have, but he wanted to set into motion there in the beginning of time an intimate personal connection with us and his creation. That's why there's this feeling inside of us. There's this longing to be held by him again. Not just a passing moment with a stranger, but to be adopted into his family and to know him as our father. The gospel is good news because it finds me. The gospel is good news because it adopts me. I was talking to Pastor Justin just the other night and asking him about this, this experience of adoption. I didn't know that Randall Nichols, a good friend of ours who was going to be on the screen tonight for our missions moment, loved the work and the ministry that they are doing. And as you know from Pastor Justin and Stephanie that they have a son by the name of Raj who we love dearly and he has been adopted into that family People, Justin said people often come up to him and ask the question. I love this. They say, is he adopted? And, 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 and Justin says, no, 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 he was adopted, but he's my son. It's so good, isn't it? See, see, you can come into a family in a couple of different ways. You can be born into a family by way of pregnancy, or you can be born into a family by way of adoption. But either way are equally establishing a person inside of a family. We don't look at one as being more precious than the other. God wants you to have this sense and have this feeling of being his son, of being his daughter, of knowing him as your perfect father. Listen to Psalm 139, 13 to 16. This is David talking to God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship, come on, your magnum opus, your workmanship is marvelous. And how while well I know it, you watched me as I was being formed in utter, utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. John 3.3 3 reads this way, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are what? Born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Colossians 1.13 says, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. And I'm gonna give you one more, Romans 8.15. I love these verses you, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father. The gospel is good news because the gospel finds you. The gospel is good news because the gospel adopts you. It finds me. It adopts me. It finds you. It adopts you. I'm hoping that there are going to be some people that are watching this weekend and that for the very first time, this feeling inside of them to know God and to be known by him is being awakened for the very first time. 
I'm hoping and believing that there's going to be people, I've been praying all week, that there are going to be people that are tuning in. And this idea of that longing being stirred in them and touched by them, like, like when that mus- neuromuscular massage therapist would touch a part of me and I would say, and I would wince, I hope that the Holy Spirit is touching a part of your soul and that you're wincing a little bit with loneliness because God wants to awaken in you a longing to know him and to be known by him. And he wants you to believe and he wants you to trust that he can satisfy that longing, that he wants to invite you to be a part of his family. See, the, the beliefs of Christianity, we have to be careful to not let them drift into a stream of religious intellectualism. Are there beliefs? Yes. Are there doctrinal boundaries? You better believe that they are. But all of those are intended to drift us back into one beautiful, incredible revelation as that is that we are born into this world so that we can be adopted into the family of God. The gospel is good news because the gospel adopts me. And when the gospel adopts me, it establishes me. It establishes me in the family of God. Number three, the gospel forgives me. The gospel is good news because it finds me. It's good news because it adopts me. And it's good news because it forgives me. Somebody type forgive in the chat. John 8, 10 through 11 says, Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. So good. If you're not familiar with that story, you can read it in John chapter 8. If you're not familiar with the Bible, you just keep turning, working your way from left to right until you get to a book that says John at the top. Then go to the 8th chapter and you'll find it there. It's this woman who was caught in adultery. And she was literally dragged out of the bed with this man who wasn't her husband and thrown into a town square where everyone was about to stone her to death. And then Jesus steps in. Now, I'm not going to tell you everything that he did because you've not read the story. You need to read it for yourself. But at some point, the accusers all begin to walk away. And I I love what he says to her. When When he says, where are your accusers to condemn you? He says, neither do I. But then he says, go and sin no more. You see, a gospel that forgives is a gospel that transforms. A gospel that forgives me is also a gospel that changes me. He doesn't just say to her, neither do I, which was his way of saying, you're forgiven. He doesn't stop there. He challenges her to begin to live a changed life. Listen to this. Forgiveness is not permission to do as we please. Forgiveness is the freedom to live in a way that pleases God. Let me share that with you again. Forgiveness is not permission to do as we please. Forgiveness is the freedom to live in a way that pleases God. One thing. Let me give you some parenting advice. Free parenting advice. You should never say to a child, be more like your brother or be more like your sister. You might think that. You you might have a thought like that. But you have to be careful to not set into motion some sense of sibling rivalry. You can 
point to a child that's doing well. You can extol and affirm, and then that in and of itself becomes an example. But be careful to not use that phrase specifically. It's not healthy in human families. But can I just tell you this? From the moment the gospel finds me and from the moment the gospel adopts me, you know what God never stops saying to us? Be more like your brother, who also happens to be our king and our savior. It's different in his family. It's important for us to see the example of Christ put in front of us because the gospel just doesn't forgive. It forgives to transform. And the way it transforms us is that it changes us into the likeness and in the image of Jesus. This verse in Ephesians 5.1 says this way, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. That's God saying to us, be more like Jesus. We're forgiven because of Jesus and we're changed because of Jesus. There are 24 virtues that we teach here at City Life. I'm gonna take just a minute because I want you to hear them. Authentic content, hospitable, truthful, persevering, wise, hopeful, loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, gentle, faithful, humble, grateful. How are you doing so far? Merciful, honorable, principled, selfless, fervent, forgiving, believing, and self-controlled. These come from what we call the five great growth lists out of the Bible. Many people are familiar, if you've been around church for any amount of time, where we talk about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, or you're familiar with the Beatitudes that come out of Matthew 5. But those are just two of the great growth lists. And when you take all five of those great growth lists, which we talk about here, which you can get a free copy of this, of a, download a digital copy on letspraxis.com, L-E-T-S-P-R-A-X-I-S, letspraxis.com, and you can begin to learn about these 24 virtues and how you can begin to work for them to be formed in your life. The gospel forgives me because the gospel wants to change me and transform me. And he wants these virtues to begin to define who we are. All of us at the moment that we're adopted into the family of God have a starting point with these 24 virtues. Some of these might be more present in our lives than others. And part of our lifelong commitment and part of our lifelong journey, which so many people refer to, and we talk about it here at this church too, as discipleship. This is part of what we're talking about, becoming more like our brother who is our king and our savior for these 24 virtues to define who we are. See, when Vanessa and I were parenting, when our kids were still young, all throughout our parenting years, we loved them like they were perfect but we parented them like they needed to change and grow and mature. Let me say that again. When our children were little, in the meat and the heart of our parenting years, we loved them like they were perfect, but we parented them like they needed to change and grow and mature. Many families, they struggle with that. They, they don't want to parent. They don't want to challenge and raise and correct because they feel like that that's going to cause some fraction or tension in their love relationship. Or they feel like if I love them too much, I'm not going to have the voice of authority. Don't, don't get stuck in that false choice, people. Don't do it. 
love your children like they're perfect and then parent them like they need to change because that's what God does for us. A gospel that forgives is a gospel that transforms. I'm going to be 55 in March. I know that comes as a shock because I look so young. 55, my wife's laughing over there, 55 in March. The gospel found me in 1990. Can I just tell you this? The gospel has never stopped changing me, and I hope it never does. It's never stopped forgiving me, and it's never stopped changing me. It's an incredible promise, isn't it? Meaning that everything that I've ever done that causes me shame and regret, Jesus says to me the same thing he says to the woman who was caught in adultery. He does not condemn me either, but he also says to me, Fred, go and sin no more. I forgive you for what you did, but let's start working so that we don't keep doing that again. And if you've been around Christianity or the Bible or the church for any amount of time, you know sin takes on two different faces. It's either the things that we shouldn't do that we actually do, the sin of commission, or it's things that we're supposed to do that we don't, the sin of omission. So we're going to struggle as sinners for the rest of our lives. My hope is that I'm going to struggle less and less with the things that I'm not supposed to do so I can focus more and more on the things that I am supposed to do. But we all fall short of both of those. And Jesus keeps stepping up into our lives like he did that woman 2,000 years ago. And he says to you and to me, you are forgiven. Now go and sin no more. The gospel is good news, people, because the gospel forgives me. And when the gospel forgives me, it never stops changing me. It never stops changing me. The last one is this, the gospel convinces me. The gospel convinces me. The gospel is good news because the gospel finds me. The gospel is good news because the gospel adopts me. The gospel is good news because the gospel forgives me. And the fourth one is this, the gospel is good news because the gospel convinces me. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven which we must be saved by. Come on. Another translation renders that there's no other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. Speaking of Jesus some of you are familiar with John 14, 6, where it says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Let me say that again. Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. This is another place where people struggle oftentimes with Christianity. They have a hard time dealing and coping with the tension that exists between these. The gospel invitation, listen to me, the gospel invitation is all inclusive, but the message of the gospel could not be more exclusive. Let me say that again. The gospel invitation is all inclusive, meaning that it's God's plan for the gospel to find everybody. Meaning that it's God's hope and desire that everybody is going to respond to the invitation and be adopted into his family. Meaning that it's God's hope and desire that everyone's going to experience the forgiveness and the transformational power that the gospel brings into our lives. It's all-inclusive. The Bible uses the term whosoever, but it's completely exclusive 
in the sense that all of this can only happen through Jesus. People struggle with this. People say if the gospel invitation is inclusive, if if God is love, then he just accepts me the way that I am. Don't ask me to change, but that's only part of the gospel message. It's inclusive. It says to all of us, everyone come. But it's exclusive in the sense that it says Jesus is the only way. And then as we come, he begins to change and transform us. See, he convinces us in a couple of different ways. One is he convinces us that I need to change. He convinces me that I am in need of a Savior. He convinces me that I am a sinner as I come. He convinces me, like the woman caught in adultery, I need to be forgiven. He convinces me that there is hope for change. And he convinces me that Jesus is the only way. Now, at some point during this sermon, maybe you've asked Fred, I'm, I feel like I'm tracking. I understand that the gospel is good news and I, I'm, kinda, I'm, I'm resonating with why it's good news because you, you understand this idea of being found because you've been lonely before. You, you, you understand this idea of, of being adopted because you, you have experienced, or if you haven't, you've seen other people experience. And I trust that you're going to, at some point in your life, this, the, the meaningfulness that comes by being a part of a family. You, 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 you resonate with this idea of the gospel being good news because you, you, this idea of being forgiven, you've either been forgiven at some point in your life or you've extended forgiveness to somebody at some point in your life and how meaningful that was and the reason you extended that forgiveness in part is because you hoped that they were gonna change and the reason why you were glad that you were forgiven by a friend is because it prompted you to want to change too and to be a better person. You even resonate with this idea of being convinced All of us at some point in our life had doubts about something, a decision that we were supposed to make or situation that we were in. All of a sudden, we felt convinced that this was the right thing. All of these words, they resonate with the human experience. But maybe you're saying, Fred, but could you just tell me what the gospel is? And I would say to you that when you begin to understand why the gospel is good news, that's when you begin to understand what it truly is. This is the statement that I use to help me understand the gospel. If someone were to ask me, Fred, what is the gospel? This is the statement that I'd like to use. I am at one with God, rescued from myself, just as if I'm perfect, because Jesus paid it all. Those four parts speak to everything about the gospel. I am at one with God, rescued from myself, just as if I'm perfect, because Jesus paid it all. That statement is born out of three academic theological terms we find in the Bible. They are atonement, redemption, justification, and propitiation. If I had started with that, you all would have tuned out and gone right to the playoff game already. You know you would. Although maybe some of you did that anyways. Shame on you. Those words are hard to understand. Those words are hard to grasp. But you know what's not hard to understand? You know what's not hard to grasp? Is this idea of being found, adopted, forgiven, and convinced. Atonement, redemption, justification, and propitiation. Listen to these verses in John 1, 1 to 14. In the beginning was the word 
and it already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, who was coming into the world. This is John talking about Jesus who was about to be revealed. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. They are reborn, not by physical birth, resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So good. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of grace and truth. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. You know what you find in all of these verses? This idea that the gospel finds me. This idea that the gospel adopts me, that it forgives me, and that it convinces me. John 1.29 tells us that John the Baptist, on the day that he saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Isaiah 53, 5 says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. It's because that Jesus died for me that the gospel can find me. It's because that Jesus died for me that the gospel can adopt me. It's because that Jesus died for me that the gospel can forgive me. And it's because that Jesus died for me that the gospel convinces me. The gospel is good news. The gospel is good news because the gospel convinces me. And when the gospel convinces me, it calls to me by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So I'll close with this. John 5, 38 reads this way. Jesus speaking to the crowd says, and you do not have this message. What message is he talking about? He's talking about the good news. You do not have this message in your hearts because you do not believe the one he sent to you. Can I just ask you in joining with me, we're going to be talking a lot about this idea of the gospel and telling the story of the gospel for our 16th anniversary service next week. In many ways, this was to set that up for the theme that I'm going to declare for our church and next weekend service, can, can, can I just ask you to join me in, in, in this prayer and to believe that because those of us who have been found by the gospel, those of us who have been adopted by the gospel, have been forgiven and convinced by the gospel, that something inside of us wants to be able to say over our city and over our region in the 757, we don't want John 538 to be true of this region. We don't want John 5.38 to be a true verse that speaks of the city that God has put us in. Let's be a people that tell the story of the gospel. Let's be a people that every day are looking for opportunities to talk to people about the gospel so that they can be found, so that they can be adopted, so they can be forgiven, and so they can be convinced. Pray with me. Father,
thank you for this good news. Jesus, thank you for what you have done so that it can be good news, not, not, not just as an idea, not, not just as a concept, not, not, not as religious intellectualism, but so that it can be good news that speaks to the reality of our experience. Father, I pray for everyone that might be watching now that maybe they would say as they look back over the story of their life, they can't find a moment in time where they've made a vow of devotion to you, Jesus. Or they can't find a moment in time where they've responded to that feeling and that longing to know you and to be known by them. That as they look back over the story of their life, this idea of being born into and adopted into the family of God, maybe, maybe they don't have that sense and that feeling. For people right now that are listening and watching who desperately need that feeling of being forgiven and having the hope of being transformed and changed, for people even now that maybe for the first time are being convinced that Jesus is the only way. Father, I pray that if they're watching live right now that they're going to go into one of those private chat rooms and let one of our hosts pray with them. But maybe you found their way. Maybe, Lord, they found their way into this message sometime later. Father, I pray that they're going to reach out to somebody. I pray they're going to reach out to us. They're going to reach out to the church here. They're not going to let that feeling and that sense of longing and wanting to know by way of experience everything that we're talking about. I pray, Father, that they would reach out. Father, I pray for the people that even right now they're saying, Fred, I don't want to wait. Father, I pray that you would help them find these words. Father, I believe that you sent Jesus to die for me. That even now, I want to know you and be known by you. And for the rest of my life, I'm going to follow after Jesus. I want to be born into your family. I want your spirit to come alive inside of me. Forgive me for all that I have done and begin to show me the things that need to change. And I am convinced with all certainty that Jesus is the only way. And it's in his name I pray, amen. And it's in his name that we all pray together, amen. We'll see you next week.